This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, our guest is Richard Culbertson with Culbertson, Jacobs, and Laboda. Welcome, Richard. Great to be here. Thanks. So, Richard, what made you decide to get into law? Uh, well, when I was young, I mean, a lot of people attribute the Perry Mason, but uh, there was that. <laughs> and uh, there was a, another show that I actually preferred, uh, The Defenders. Okay. And uh, yeah, as a kid, I liked the uh uh the drama of it you know and, and the importance of it and uh uh yeah it just seemed like an, an important uh thing that you could do with your your career so kind of walk us through through your career a little bit i mean you know i know now you're you're in in um social security is kind of your your forte but kind of what how'd you get there yeah, right out of law school, I started working for Legal Aid and Legal Services Office that provides free legal services to low-income people that can't afford attorneys. And um, I was with them for about 20 years, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, it's it's very challenging. Uh, there, there's always more people in more need than, than those nonprofits could possibly provide. And then uh, for 10 years, I was the executive director of the legal services office that covered three counties in central Florida. And um, again, that was very challenging. And um, I had about 30 employees, uh, including 13 attorneys. And uh, I've always been involved in what we call public benefits and primarily the social security aspect, because back then uh, there weren't many private attorneys doing this type of work, although now there, uh, there are, there's a fairly significant number. But yeah, I got into the legal services, did that for about 20 years, and then I opened my own office in uh, 1996, again, doing primarily Social Security, um, but a, a few other things at, at the same time. And then eventually the demand for Social Security just got greater and greater, and I've just gradually expanded over the years. I mean, when I first started after leaving legal services, it was just me. I mean, I answered the phones, took the garbage out, did the hearings, the federal oh, yeah. appeals and, and everything. And then gradually as it grew, I brought in more and more attorneys. And we now have grown to the point where there's five of us 
uh, five attorneys and, and then support staff. And we have offices in Orlando, uh, Daytona Beach and, and Leesburg. And we do nothing but social security at every level from advising people whether or not they should apply through appealing denials through federal court. Uh, we had one case that even went to the, the United States Supreme Court. But so, yeah, we do all aspects of it. Wow. What what about Social Security is it that, that you know, excites you with it? Because, I mean, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of attorneys out there that, that do the Social Security, but I didn't realize that, you know, like, like you're saying, it's like, okay, you have five attorneys and it's like, that's all you guys do. So obviously there's a, a, a ton of need there for that. Um, so, but what is it that gets you excited about it? Um, well, it's very, I like, I like a challenge and we fight with the government every single day. I, I know right. you, you do tax law, so, so you, you know what, what I'm talking oh, yeah. about, but yeah, we, we deal with the government every day and, and it's frustrating sometimes, but it's unbelievably satisfying. I mean, these poor people, you know, literally, if, if we didn't represent them, you know, they're disabled. We don't take a case unless we believe the person is legitimately disabled. Right. So they're disabled. They can't work. You know, they paid into the system. Uh, basically, the, the government is, whether it's mistakenly or whatever, they're jipping them out of their uh, their opportunity to live with any kind of dignity. Um, and, you know, they don't, they don't get a whole lot of money. But, uh, the amount that they get is much less than, you know, workers' comp claims or, or that kind of thing. Uh, but what they do get, again, lets them live with a little bit of dignity. They're entitled to, to it by definition. And right. uh, they will get some sort of medical care, which many people, that's more important than, than the financial part of it. They'll get some sort of medical care, depending on which disability program they're, they're entitled to. So, yeah, again, it's frustrating work, but at the same time, you know, uh, it's it's very satisfying. We we used to wait, you know, we would get find out whether the case was approved or not uh, before the client, and we used to wait for the client to to call us. But then, um, it, it, just calling the people and telling them, you know, that they they scream, they cry, you know, that I'm, I, and now make sure they're they're sitting down because they've gone through a process that. Is, is minimum usually like close to two years if it's contested. And we've had cases go on for like 15, 16 years before the the, the people are finally approved, you know, like they, they should have been to begin with. So uh, my staff is actually, um, we we kind of fight over who gets to call the client. Because <laughs> again, that that's, you know, the money isn't as, as good as a lot of other areas, but right. uh, the satisfaction, you just can't beat that. Right. You know, and, and I'm being very general here, but in general, why is it that the uh, Social Security Administration is denying the people's claims? I mean, because it because I, I think it's I don't want to say it seems to be pretty straightforward. I mean, if somebody physically can't work um, for for physical reasons or mental reasons and stuff like that, is it just that, you know, that that doctor's letter isn't good enough? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a systemic thing. I mean, I've been doing this 47 years and I can tell you about the last 15 years, things have, have really changed. Um, the, the 
Social Security District Office handles the administrative parts of the uh, claims. And it used to be that, the, the well, first of all, it used to be they had enough people, but, you know, the government's cut back, you know, right. on, on expenses. And, you know, we, we all want an, an efficient government, but they've cut back to the point where there's not enough people working at Social Security to meet the demand of, of the public to provide the information and uh, help people with the process and, and all that. So it's gotten harder at, at those levels. Um, if the person applies and, and they're denied, um, then they have the right to an administrative hearing before a social security administrative law judge. Uh, so that administratively things have gotten much harder at, at the initial level. And then you put COVID on top of it and social security offices were closed for about two years. Um, and I mean, that was just a nightmare as far as trying to speak to a human being about, you know, what's going on with it, uh, either your case or on our, you know, with us on behalf of a disabled claimant. Uh, so just communicating people was bad. They've now reopened for the most part uh, as of, I believe it was April, but they're so backlogged now that it's still difficult. The, the first level that the social security is a federal program, but they have a contract with state offices that actually make the initial disability determination. Okay. And um, that is just, I, I've had people work for me who had worked for the state office before and they have quotas where the, the workers have to make decisions in so many cases per month. Um, if they turn down a case, there's no questions asked. You know, the, there's there's no problem for the employee. Any case that they want to approve, they have to go jump through more hoops and it's more work. So you get to the end of the month and, uh, you know, well, should I turn the case down or try to approve it to meet my quota? And guess what? You know, right over again, it, it, it's denied. So uh, so there's that. And then at the judge level, um, it's still just like the federal court system. For, for the most part, these judges are trying to do the right thing. You know, that nobody wants anybody who's, who's not eligible to, to get it. Um, but at the same time, you, you want them to try to determine uh, if the person really is disabled. Over about the last 15 years, the rules have been changed that they're more anti-claimant. I mean, you know, and any benefit of the doubt goes against the claimant, against the claimant. The burden of proof is harder. Um, there's more discretion of, of judges to, to turn cases down, even though you have, um, one example is there used to be a preference. If, if there's a treating doctor that's treating an individual and they've known them, you know, seen them over and over again for many years, it used to be You'd, you'd have to give a preference. The judge would have to, to, to that judge's, I mean, that doctor's opinion. Uh, they've changed that to where, no, if, if there's some government hired doctor that does, you know, a 10 minute exam, they're entitled to the same, if, if, if not more weight than the person's treating oh, physician. Wow. So if you have a conservative judge, you know, and you have the, the high, government hired doctors, they're, they're, they're going to turn it down. And, and then you know, the, then the next step after the administrative level uh, is federal court. And, and the, the federal court, we do a lot of, most attorneys that do this just do the administrative. They don't do the federal court because federal court is more complex. I mean, the, the standard of, uh, of winning is higher. You don't get an evidentiary hearing in the federal court. They just rely on the, uh, the record that was made at the administrative level. Um, but we do a lot of those. And, and fortunately, they're there. And, and, and the court's 
I mean, we hear about the politics and all that, but uh, the federal courts, our experience, at least in this area, area is they're trying again. They're they're trying to do the right thing, apply the law, and uh, but there's more and more federal court appeals again because of the problems at the administrative level. And and you know, and I mean, we all know that there's that there are the people out there that are trying to scam the system. We know that. Sure. Um, and that and that obviously hurts the people who legitimately need the help. I guess the, the, take a couple steps back here, and you know, so if if I feel that I'm disabled for whatever the reason is, and I can't work, and I apply. Should I come to an attorney like you before I try to apply, or do I wait until I get rejected before I come to you? What What would be your advice to somebody who's thinking about, hey, I need to 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 apply for Social Security because I'm disabled? Call at least call an attorney. We, the great majority of if not all, including us, we'll do a free consultation. If somebody's thinking about applying, um, and it's for the person's benefit as well. I mean, uh, it's a pretty high standard that you have to meet to prove that that you're disabled. And of, of the people that call us that have already applied and are going through the process and they want us to represent them, um, probably about half of them, we won't take the case just because and again, they're not trying to rip off the system. They have definite physical problems, but they they just don't know how high the, the standard is, and and that even though they have problems, they just don't meet that standard. And and we can explain to them at that time, here's the problems that you have, and and that kind of thing. So yes, if they call us before they even apply their thinking, because that's a critical life decision whether you oh, yeah. give up your job. And you know, our, our consistently, our, our advice basically is, uh, if you're still working, work as long as you're able to, you know, right. and because you're better off working than you are going through this gauntlet of a process to try to get the, the disability. You're much better off. And when you get to the point where you can't work anymore, that answers the question. Then you don't have a choice. You know that if you can't work, then you apply, but and we can basically, if they talk to us, we can tell them the standard of what they have to prove um, uh, and things that they, they can do. And again, nobody's ripping off the system, but a, a lot of people, um, one example might be, um, uh, I don't want to be gender biased here, but guys are more guilty of this than, uh, that, than uh, women. Uh, we generally won't go to the doctor unless, you know, we're, we're drop, dropping dead. Right. We, when we do, we won't tell the doctor the problems that, that, that we're having. So our advice is, you know, tell the truth, the whole truth. Number one, if you need to get medical treatment, get the treatment. Right. Uh, tell the doctor, even though, you know, the doctor may or may not be able to do anything, tell them. Uh, and another example along those lines are side effects. We see people that they're taking like 20 different medicines for, for their impairments. And the medicines themselves make the person disabled. I mean, they, right. you know, mentally, they, they can't function. Um, nausea, headaches, you know, but, and you got to take the medicine to deal with your impairment. That's one of the rules with Social Security. You have to follow prescribed treatment. But again, that, that, that comes along. So, but again, a lot of people will have all these symptoms, uh, um, I mean, side effects from the medicines, and they don't, they won't tell the doctor. And, 
it doesn't count. I mean, if there's no medical, social security is not going to take the claimant's word or my word for anything. You you have to have the, the medical documentation. And if they aren't telling the doctors about their problems, then then they have no documentation and they're going to be spinning their wheels when the, the time comes. And I think it's important for the listeners to, to understand also is, is that this is a specialty area and you're not going to just go to the guy, you know, to the attorney down the street that wrote a business contract for you or your will if they don't have the experience in uh, social security, that's not the right attorney for you, correct? Correct. Yeah, just like I wouldn't try to advise people on family law or criminal law. Yeah, they're, they're better off getting somebody that you know has experience in the area. Right. Now, when somebody is, is applying and say I started applying whatever a year ago and it takes six years for everything to finally go through, um, and then, you know, Social Security finally um, says, yes, that I, I'm disabled and they're going to give me benefits. Now, do those benefits get paid retroactive back to when I originally applied? Yes, there's two disability programs. One is Social Security Disability Insurance. And that's just that. It's an insurance um, to be covered by the insurance. You know, when we pay our FICA tax or a self-employment tax, that's what we're paying into. And it's not only retirement, it's also the, the disability program. So uh, you're paying into that if you have enough quarters and, and you're covered. Uh, that program, um, you fr from when you apply, uh, you can get benefits up to 12 months before the month that you apply for Social Security Disability Insurance. And yes, it will be paid retroactive. Uh, the other program is called Supplemental Security Income. And that has no, it's not an insurance, that's a welfare. And uh, to get the Supplemental Security Income, in addition to showing that you're disabled, and by the way, the definition of disability is the same for the two programs. Okay. It's all the other requirements that, that are different. For the Supplemental Security Income, in addition to showing you're disabled, you have to show that you're below a certain income level and below a certain asset level. The government looks at it like if you're disabled in this country, um, you know, we, we want you at least to have something to meet your, your minimum needs. Uh, but if you have other income or assets, you have to use that money, money first. So that's how the SSI program works. Social security disability, there's no, in, you can be a millionaire and still get your social security because it's an insurance. You know, insurance isn't based right. on, on need. The only two incomes that will affect social security disability insurance are if you get um, uh, workers' compensation type program. You can get workers' comp and you can get social security disability. You just can't make a profit off of it. Congress right. passed a law saying that if you get both, they look at any particular month and they can't exceed 80% of what your average earnings were before you became disabled. So yeah, you can get both, but you just can't make a profit. And um, th th there's criteria that goes into what that dollar figure is as far as average, average earnings goes. The supplemental security income program is not retroactive. There's no retroactive activity okay. there. Uh, you could have been disabled for 10 years, but if you, you, you apply, you don't get any retroactive. It starts the month after you establish your, your eligibility. Also, there's no waiting period for the supplemental for social security disability insurance, say you become disabled this month, you know, 
still November, November right. of 2022, um, you won't be, even though you're disabled, they find you disabled this month, you will not get paid benefits for the first five full months. So you wouldn't get a check for November and then five months after that, December, January, February, March, April. So May would be the first month that you get paid for. And Social Security Disability Insurance, they don't pay it that month. They pay it the following month. Right. So, you know, if you became disabled right. now, it would right. be like seven months before you actually receive a check. Okay. And the day that you get the check, they divided up all our birthdays and did a lottery like they did for the draft many years ago. Some people get their check on the second Wednesday, some get it on the third Wednesday, and some get it on the fourth Wednesday. So okay. that's how that works. And then the supplemental security income people, they get uh, their check, you know, early on in the month. So um, if I'm receiving Social Security disability, am I able to have any earned income at all? <clears throat> yes. Uh, there's, well, there's two different things. There's one as far as, how it affects the finding of whether or not you're disabled. And then second of all, it's how, whether or not it would affect the amount of your check. Okay. Uh, generally, the rule of thumb, when someone is found disabled, they'll review that every three years, you know, cause some people get better. And right. um, so every three years, they'll review that finding of, of disability. Um, if you're working, I mean, that's going to be one of the factors that they look at. They're going to look at the medical records to determine whether your condition has gotten better, worse, or whatever. And if you're working, well, that shows some ability to work. Um, as far as whether it affects the amount, and this is your Social Security Disability Insurance, they they don't want people to be afraid to try to work. You know, right. it's so hard to, to get it that some would say, I, yeah. I can do a little bit of work, but I, I don't want to because I don't want to have to go through right. the gauntlet again. Uh, so they want to encourage people. So they have, they've established what's called a nine-month trial work period where the person can earn as much as they are able to for nine months, and they won't hold that against them. They won't say, aha, you're working. We're, we're going to cut you off. So yeah, they have the trial work period where they're protected. After that, nine month, that ninth month, then they then the amount that they make determines the amount of their check. Okay. And if they, they each year they establish amount of what they call the substantial gainful activity level. If you're earning that much, they say, well, come on, you're not disabled if you're earning this much. Sure. And, and it goes up each year. I, I don't know the exact amount for, for next year, but, but there's amount, it's a ballpark figure, but, but don't rely on this is about 13, $1,300. Yeah. After the nine-month trial work period, if they gross more than whatever that figure is, let's say thirteen hundred for a month, then they don't get their check. And if they, it's less than that, they still get their full disability check. It's kind of all all or nothing. Okay. That goes on for thirty-six months, where they look at the income for each month. After the thirty-six months goes by, then the first month they earn over that amount. They back then their cut check is cut off. You know the government says, "Well, come on, you've been working all this time, so you know you're not not disabled anymore." Right now, if, if somebody's receiving Social Security disability, um, are they also entitled to Medicare during that same time? There's two ways to get Medicare. One is you have to be 65 years old, and again, both of these you had to pay in enough quarters sure. to exactly. Medicare, you know, tax thing. Uh, one way is to be 65 years old, 
Uh, the other way is to be receiving Social Security Disability Insurance for 24 consecutive months. Okay. So, um, yes, and, and it's the full, same Medicare for the disabled people as the 65-year-old right. year people get. Uh, the A, B, C, D, all, all that stuff uh, um, is exactly the same. Uh, so, yeah, we see people, you know, again, if and and the process isn't a nightmare for everybody. I mean, if, if you know, if you have right. stage four cancer, you're in a coma or you have something where that's there's no discretion. I mean, the documentation is just there that there's no question yet that you, you have the disability. Those people can can get approved fairly quickly. Again, the state offices are notoriously slow on everything now post post COVID, uh, but I mean, it, in a period of months, I mean, it, it would be possible for someone to get approved. They still have that five full month waiting period, but the first month they get a check for, twenty four months after that, whether it's in the future or say they got three years worth of retroactive Social Security, their Medicare eligibility would also go back twelve months okay. because the twenty four months you know, has already run that, that they're getting paid for. The supplemental security income, which again is is more of a welfare, you don't get Medicare if you're all you're getting is supplemental security, but you would get Medicaid, which is the Medicare welfare equivalent for, for Medicaid. Again, you, for that, you have to be low income, you have to be low assets. Um, it, it, most doctors don't take Medicaid, uh, it's hard to find a good doctor for, but there, there are good doctors, but, but, uh, not nearly, you don't have nearly the choices you do right. with Medicare, but as soon as you get any month, you get supplemental security income, you get Medicaid. There's no waiting period for, for either one of those. Man, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of rules that, that apply to this. And it's, it's, I'm going to say it's it's crazy to to go about it um, without without finding help. Um, you know, obviously, it, if somebody is trying to go through this process and uh, lots of times it is because they truly are disabled and they don't have the money and stuff like that. So how is it that they're able to afford to pay an attorney to do this? Well, Congress recognized that people are going to be in that situation. They're, they're disabled. Right. The great majority of them don't have any money. I mean, there's some right. again, people with money and assets that, but Congress provided that um, uh, the limitations on what an attorney can charge. First of all, an attorney cannot charge any fee to any representing any claimant for social security without prior approval from social security. So any fee I charge has to be approved by this agency that I sue over and over here, right. if you can imagine that. Uh, so, and most of us work, I mean, we we can charge an hourly rate, we could charge whatever, but we, we can't charge anything until we get the okay from Social Security. 99% of, of the representation is done on a contingency fee basis. And the regulations provide that we can charge up to 25% of the retroactive benefits that are awarded to, to the claimant up to 25%. And normally we would have to do a fee petition where the judges would determine whether uh, or not we can charge what, what we're charging. And the fact that it's a contingency fee, by the way, at the administ is administrative level is, is meaningless. I mean, if, you know, it, it's just not even a factor. They look at how many hours you put in and, right. and that kind of thing. 
it's written in, into the Social Security Act that if we limit, we put a cap on the amount of fees that we charge. And the, if the fee agreement says we're going to charge the lesser of 25% or whatever the cap is, then we don't have to do a petition and get approved. It's like they'll automatically approve that agreement. The cap, coincidentally, up until today, the most we could charge would be $6,000. Today, it's going up to $7,200 as the cap. So if I represent a client and they get $400 in retroactive benefits, and by the way, it's just retroactive, whatever they get approved monthly in the future, 100% is theirs. The Medicare is theirs, all that. But as far as the retroactive pay, if they get $400 retroactive pay, I get, can charge $100. If they get $4,000, I can charge $1,000. If they get $40,000, I can only charge up to what the cap is, Okay. $6,000 or $7,200. Now, it's different. In federal court, it's possible that they could uh, use all of their 25%. And the government will hold back the 25% for the attorney's fees when they process it. They'll send the 75% to the client and they'll hold the 25%, giving us time to, to, to get approval. Um, and uh, there, there's different fees for representing them at the administrative level and representing them at the federal court level, um, which um, technically could exceed 25%. But my office and every attorney that I know of, even though more than 25% is charged, I've never seen anybody that charges more than you know, would require the client to pay more than the 25% that's held by Social Security. But that's how that works. So we're kind of protected. The client's protected. They get the majority. They get the future. They get the, the health coverage. And they get the representation when they need it. Right. When they don't have any money. So, I mean, to me, this is a no-brainer then. If you're disabled and you feel that you, you, know, that you need to, to collect Social Security disability, Go to an attorney who has done this because again, you're not coming out of pocket anything. And it's only based on if if I get paid and whatever that retroactive is is what you know the attorney is going to get paid. So I'm really not bringing anything out of my pocket ahead of time. Correct. So all right, Richard, we covered a lot of stuff here. Uh and we could probably go on for another three hours about this. Um, what have I not asked you that you wish I had? Mm, maybe the, um, the, the, the medical part of it, uh, again, I know we just, we're geared towards the social security, but for many, many years, you know, when we win a case and help someone get their social security disability, uh, insurance, uh, I would explain, you know, the person has a lot of questions. Well, you know, how much are going to get per month? How, how much is the retroactive, you know, all, all this stuff. I would, for many, many years, explain all that to them, answer all their questions on the Social Security uh, and the SSI. But I really didn't know that much about the, the medical part of it, uh, which, again, is very important to, to many of these people. Yeah. But then when I turned 65 a, a number of years ago, I had to go through the Medicare process. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the, I guess you're, you look too young to have been, but there's A and B and yep. D and you can trade stuff in for C and then there's a prescription and this and that. And that's just the federal part. And and then on top, a lot of our clients, um, they only get social security disability. The amount of the social security disability insurance is based on how much you paid in during your lifetime. Right. So the more you work, the more you paid in, 
the higher your, your check is going to be. Uh, the most you get, I think it's a little more than, again, it just went up at 3000 something. Right. Uh, but most of our clients, you know, you know minimum wage jobs and, and that kind of thing, they end up getting about 1100 1200 1300 Those people, in addition to dealing with the Medicare myriad of, of information, are eligible for different Medicaid programs that will help them um, if nothing else, pay the premium, you know, instead of the hundred and I think it's 170. Now it's going to go down. Uh, Medicaid will help them pay that premium because it's in the state's interest for all the residents to have this extra health coverage. So, you know, the state agencies don't have to have to pick it up. Uh, and they also will provide extra benefits that uh, Medicare would not pay. So what I did after, like I say, for years, we didn't get into that part of it. We just specialized and focused on the social security but then we found I, I went back and called a lot of our clients that um, you know had gotten decisions two years ago and found that they were not getting you know the health care that they needed and and they could get if there was somebody to help them figure out how how to what was best for them you right. know instead of not somebody you know that some tv ad you know is trying to sell sell something right. there that is able to tell the client from their interest, look, here's your, uh, you know, tell me what's important to you. Is it important to see your doctor? Is dental important? Is visual important? You know, and then, okay, that's important. And then tell them what their options are. And, and we started doing that. And again, there, there's really no, no money in it as, as attorneys. I mean, insurance agents, you know, right. they get paid, but, um, and it doesn't cost the client anything, but, but we found that it just makes a tremendous difference on, on, on people that are just entitled to, to, to things that, that don't even know about it. And again, no, no attorneys do that because again, we can't make a living, you know, there, again, there's no fees or anything in it, but so we started doing that. And again, that's uh, yeah, though, and in response to your question, that's the one thing, I mean, a lot of people really don't know about that. Um, Again, we we started doing a, a couple of years ago and found that there's just a tremendous need for for you know the low income people. Right, right. So Richard, if if our listeners like what they hear and they have questions and stuff like that, how can they reach out to you guys and and get some some questions answered? Uh, my email address is Culbertson Law, all one word, C U L B E R T S O N L A W, at msn.com. And our phone number, um, we have three offices, but they can always call the, the Orlando office and, and they get uh, their questions handled. The phone number is area code 407-894-0888. Great. Richard, I really appreciate your time. I personally, I've learned a lot uh, You know, today. I'm sure that our listeners have too, because this is definitely... A very complicated uh you know topic that's for sure thank you for having me appreciate it guys this week our guest was richard culberson with culberson jacobs and laboda i will see you guys next week this show has been produced by market domination llc to discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.